0: Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is the HPP Podcast editor, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal. Whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health related topics with our editorial board members, we hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. <music>
1: Hello, and welcome to the Health Promotion Practice podcast. My name's Robin Evans-Agnew. I'm on the editorial board of the Health Promotion Practice Journal and the guest editor of our special photo voice issue from 2022. And I'm a professor of nursing at the University of Washington, Tacoma, an associate professor of nursing. And um, I'm focusing on environmental and climate justice. And I'm super excited to have Bob Strack in the house, my fellow co-editor, Bob, it's good to see you because Bob's the reason really we're here. It's a super special moment in PhotoVoice history, everybody. Drum roll if you can imagine in your head because in the house we have Mary Ann Burris who co-developed PhotoVoice with Caroline Wang and went on to employ it with Youth in Nairobi and then who became the founding director of the Trust for Indigenous Culture and Health. And she is calling in from Nairobi right now. Welcome, everybody. Marianne, maybe perhaps you should just go around and just introduce yourself a little bit, and and then we'll have Bob introduce himself.
0: Okay. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you, Robin. Robin and Bob and I have been involved in the conversation that ended, well, that is one step so far as this article that we've written together. But the exploration has been so wonderful for me to reconnect with to remember the stories of the beginning of the first photo voice that I was involved with in China and and to really think of the threads of how that led me to the next step and the next step and the next step by always believing in the power of listening and community. So yes, I'm happy to be here.
1: It's great. And Marianne's still doing the work. This is what is so cool. And Bob and I, when we were, conceiving of this article well Bob you should tell the, the story because you started texting and emailing Marianne and, and trying to find her again right
2: well that was when we were doing the special issue yeah so it's really great to be here again with you Robin on these conversations I'm so glad Marianne's both had the conversation with us and developing the paper but also having this moment to do this podcast and hear each other's voices and the enthusiasm that the three of us have had for talking about this work over the course of the development of the special issue and this article but yeah, when we were doing the special issue, we thought we really need to reach out to Carolyn when you really need to try to find Marianne. And so we did track down Marianne and, and Kenya with her foundation there in Nairobi and having her on board for the conversation during the development of the special issue, but also in the development of this paper has been such a delight. So it's really our thanks that you're joining this conversation with us and and also all the thought threads that we've had in the developing of the weaving the braids paper was just so much fun so it's going to be fun to have this origination conversation
1: yeah and and just to be back in the conversation with the two of you because we wrote this paper together but we also you know I'm I'm early morning. Marianne's in the evening. This is kind of like a, a little bit of what we've done for, for the past six or seven months to write this paper and to really be uh-huh. thinking back on Photovoice. So, yep. Yep. yeah, maybe we should maybe we should kick off with tell us the origin story from your point of view, Marianne. How did it get started? Where were you? What was what was the setting like? Take us back to that time.
0: Okay, so I had just finished my. Ph.D. at Stanford and in international development and the Ford Foundation found me. I was a, a China studies person then and offered me a job in Beijing to start their reproductive health and rights program. And it was the first, I was the first person in that position. And so in February of 1991, I moved to Beijing and clueless you know, in many ways about philanthropy. And, you know, I knew my job was to place money with good people. And I thought, Ooh, that sounds great. And it was, it was, in fact, absolutely great. But I knew from the beginning that to do this work well, you know, I was, I was charged with setting up the program, at least having a base of it in Yunnan province, which is in the southwest and is an atypical and absolutely beautiful place, but in terms of reproductive health and the one-child policy and the All-China Women's Federation and the State Family Planning Commission and how they functioned, it's a bit of an outlier because it's non-Han, it's ethnically different, and so the rules are different for having children. And But Ford's other programs, rural development programs, were there. So. And I had never been there or worked there. And so it was very clear to me from the very beginning that for me to do a decent job of placing Ford's resources and building a program, I needed to find a a way to listen, to, to establish a sort of participating group that would, together, whose ideas and reality would shape this program. It wasn't just about what I thought was needed. And... I'd done quite a few trips there by then and it was clear that the relationship between work and health was primary and it wasn't so much about numbers of children and abortion and I mean it was there, but that if you were listening, it was about generational patriarchy and how women were treated and what their work lives were like and their family lives were like. And I was working with this absolutely incredible public health professor from UCLA named Virginia Lee, who I had met before, and we were each other's right-hand people. And Virginia is Caroline Wong's mother. And so Virginia is a real research scholar, and I'm a sort of activist scholar. I mean, I want to pick up some energy and create spaces. And so we we were very different, but we were a very good pair. And it became clear to us, we all knew about portraits and dreams, and some of these early documentary photography processes in the States that gave cameras to people in unfamiliar settings. And and so we decided there had been no cameras in these villages, mostly, and this would be a good way to evoke women's ways, because most of these women were not very literate, you know, ways of sharing with us what their lives were like, what their work lives were like, and their health lives were like, and how could they present that. And of course, it's also about convening the circles for them to meet each other and talk to each other about the photographs that they're taking. And so what we thought would be quite simple in the beginning, just, okay, how does Ford spend its money? What can you tell us about your lives so that we do this right? Ended up being an engine of the way that we worked there. You know, it wasn't always photography. It wasn't always, but it was that who's at the table? What are we looking at? How do we talk about it? You know. Listening is to me, you know, the same way, you know, they say attention is the highest form of love. Well, listening is the highest form of research in a way, and then getting together for action, right? And, you know, later one of the photographers became mayor. I mean, the empowerment that happened from this process was absolutely wonderful and beyond our dreams. And of course it had the power of money behind it because I was a Ford Foundation person. So, you know, there were resources. And while that was a double-edged sword in China, because people were quite suspicious, as they should be, of outside money, it did mean that you had a convening power. So after we saw how good these photos were, and we realized that we needed to match the women with younger women who could help them write captions for their photos, so they were also telling the story of the photo, because you didn't always see all of it. Mm -hmm. Then we decided, let's do a slideshow for the Provincial leadership team. And that was line ministries, you know, Ministry of Poverty Regulation, Alleviation, Women's Federation, Health, Family Planning, show up to see the slideshow. So the women have a place. We've created an almost safe space. They felt safe. They weren't afraid of these guys because the power differential was so great. It was like they were on a in a different planet. And they were telling the truth about the pictures they were taking, and they were pointing to shortcomings in policy, things that weren't working, and also ways that the Ford Foundation could be of use. So that's how it started.
2: I love the fact that you recognized the power of the words, because Robin's heard me say this a thousand times, because a picture is worth a thousand words, but the words, that are added to photos creates the story, that creates the emotion, that creates the direction of intent. And I think writing those captions and sharing them as a pair is so critical, but you mentioned, and this might be where you're going, Robin, I don't know, but you mentioned the provincial leaders listening. Can you say a little bit about their involvement and earnestness? I think to listen to what the women had to say, because in previous conversations, it sounds like the provincial leaders were indeed curious about what the women had to say about their lives.
0: They were curious, yeah, they were curious about the whole thing because, you know, it was, there were no donors in China at the time. The whole thing was kind of, who are these people? What are they doing? And at the same time, you know, while they were padres, I mean, they were civil servants, they were civil servants. I mean, the education person did want education to be decent, but also they wanted to meet their targets. I mean, that was the deaf, that was how they worked. So, They showed up, for example, when one of the women showed a picture of a girl, like a six or seven-year-old girl with a four-year-old brother on her back. And and the reason, I mean, to get to your point about the words, we would never have known what that picture was about, Bob. Right. The picture was about this girl is kept out of school to take care of her little brother. All the girls who are born and then have brothers, they don't go to school because we have such a son preference in this village. And the education guy went, oh no. You must not know because in your village 98 percent of the girls are in school and she said oh maybe you don't know how that happens you come you tell us what day they have to show up they show up you count them they leave and she said it just like that not like pointing her finger or and so he took it he heard it and there were three or four examples like that where the words mattered, the women being able to talk about, we weren't looking for someone to blame, we were looking for something to do. The space
2: for dialogue, (laughs) the space for dialogue.
0: Okay, what do we do about this? Oh, you know, and then there are answers to that. What do we do about this? And, and the answers come from the same women who were taking the pictures and talking about it. That was the beauty of it.
1: And empowered a little bit. I mean, this is, this is going to Upset or not upset, but this is going to this is going to juggle some people's perceptions, uh, those, those uh, early papers and, and the way photo voice is presented, because the way photo voice is usually done nowadays is the person writes their own captions. But this was a collaborative act between the women and younger women like to this. write those captions that went along with that. But in the presentation, in the meeting with the policymakers, it was the women's themselves standing by the captions, standing by the words that were written because. I'm assuming they didn't want to write or or couldn't write. They couldn't.
0: More. No, they couldn't. So they were based. The young women were scribes, but right. you're absolutely right because of course they're not going to just sit there and write. What they say? Really? That's why you took that picture. That woman is responsible for that whole field all by herself. Well, doesn't she also run the daycare center? Oh yeah, that's the woman that does that too. You know, and so that happened too. But the it was the voice of the photographer. I mean, that was the hope. The con- right. I'm sure you know they they had discussions about which words exactly to use, but the young women were not in the presentation though. It's the photographers, and we only I think we brought five or six. We needed to have them like almost be the same as the number of the minister types, and um, they were great. They were non They were confrontational. In that wonderful Buddhist sense, you know, confrontational compassion. They weren't blaming. They were just saying, This is what happens. You probably don't know because you haven't been here, and this is what happens. And also, they were so proud of their photographs because there were no cameras before this, there were no pictures. Mm -hmm. And we let them have a certain number of the photos to just be the stuff you want to take, you know, the new puppy, the new baby, the wedding, the, you know, it didn't have to be all, you know, research, 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 but it all ended up being part of the process because it was a part of solidarity building.
2: You had a, a, a mnemonic in one of your articles. I couldn't recall which one, but it was called voice. And it was, if I recall, it was voicing our individual and collective experience. And I've always felt, you mentioned people write their own captions, Robin, but I've always felt the writing of and the interpretation of the photos is a community event. You might have taken the photo, but that doesn't mean your photo is unique to just you. Your photo is unique to your experience in your community that is experienced by others around you as well. And the idea is to come together as a collective to talk about that, talk about in a Freerian way the root causes, right? So now you're getting below the surface of just saying the thing that's in the picture, which is the deeper meaning. So I think the example of the young girl with the younger brother on her back is a good one because. You can see oh there's a young person taking care of her brother but the meaning is much deeper and the idea of voicing our individual and our collective experience becomes the glue that makes this process work that also is important when you get to the part where you're having a public display that's why i'm a big believer in a public display where there's space physical space for people to dialogue with someone with decision-making authority either money or decision making to have a conversation because it's it's deeper than just what you can put on a picture it's deeper than even what a caption can hold so you need those are just entree points into that collective conversation so this is exactly what i wanted to hear it happened yeah. in, in china
0: activism is is collective storytelling right so if you're right. going to do anything right. that gets beyond the individual navel gazing or whatever you want to call that I love that you talk about it It is deeper but it's just the next natural step and because you have such rigor around it Bob you know you have a process that you've built around it I just knew create the space I know how to run a talking circle you know see what comes from it take the next step but we got to the same place didn't we I mean
2: because I'm always it, curious, like, what creates, what creates the movement to the next space? And a lot of times, a lot of times to me, it's about empathy building, right? And so someone has an empathetic response to what's being presented to them. And that prompts maybe a discomfort with the way I describe it. It creates a little bit of a discomfort for the status quo with a leaning in towards a need to change. Talking um, about
1: th- this collaborative way of creating stories and, and telling stories. What was it like to collaborate with Caroline Wang? in this process and in, in the writing of those early papers you are a sort of catalyst to me you 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 throw something on a page and you'd read it and you go wow okay I gotta react to that but I, I'm just curious about how your writing process well, the was-
2: difference the difference between the two of you I mean you guys are kindred spirits in a lot of ways but at the same time you approach things much differently we've worked with her when the writing of her paper for the special issue and how she the tai chi of photo voice it's There's a different energy from the two of you that's kind of interesting to kind of untease a little bit, right? Right, Robin?
0: Oh, yeah. And you should meet Virginia. I mean, we were the free musketeers. There's a little young (laughs) kid with the ponytail, like very enthusiastic. She herself was a decent photographer, had Uh a lot of energy for everything. You know, Virginia, who was like so experienced and such a salty, you know, cured. And always she kept, I wouldn't have even thought of this as... I would have known it was participatory research, but for me, it's also activism and all sorts of other things. But that gave it a community. It gave it an audience. It made Ford listen. And we did other things that were participatory. I've done participatory research all my life, but you don't stop once you know what you know. That's the beginning. That's just the very beginning of it. So Caroline was just a delight to work with, and she was enthusiastic, and she was, she, I do not think she was in grad school, I don't, or maybe she just landed a job, but I mean, this was early days, and so then she came around, because, you know, we did it in, I think, 92, and then the articles, and thank goodness, because she and Virginia were both embedded in academic institutions, so they cared about writing, you know, peer-reviewed articles, and You know, I was happy for the world to know about it because I didn't keep that up in the rest of my work life because I didn't have those kinds of partners. So we knew how different we were, but we liked each other, we had fun. We weren't looking, you know, that we weren't looking for one answer to anything. We were like anything anybody knew mattered, (laughs) you know, because it was the fabric of those early days of exploration. And we were good sister outsiders.
2: Mhm, I think that's important. I mean, i I know Robin does it the same. Whenever I've done a photo voice project, my co-researchers are my people from the community that are expressing their point of view. There's not it's, there's no power I mean, there are power differentials, you talked about Ford having money and that made a difference. and I think those things do matter. But when it comes down to displaying and expressing what's going on, we are the lesser. We are the observer, you know? And so that, that co-creation of knowledge is really truly co-creation within a, within this kind of method, for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: You you mail stuff back and forth, you co-write, and then you head to Nairobi. Uh, take yeah. take oh,
0: a- Oh, well, no, I didn't head to Nairobi until 96.
1: Okay, okay. So you're sitting oh. there, you write these things, you're doing the Ford Foundation work still in China. At that point in time,
0: I left right after the big World Conference on Women. I ran a special office for that, and it was a huge, huge, wonderful. Well, that's a whole other story. In a way, now that I'm thinking about it, we used the same shape, but as photo voice, because we ran these offshore gatherings so that some of the real feminist activists could participate who weren't always welcomed in the official gatherings. And it was also that kind of process of finding, I mean, what did you call it? Well, you called it empathy building. Yeah, I mean, just sharing our stories and yeah, and finding what we have in common and what we can do about it. And the thing that was so wonderful about Photo Voice was that you didn't just say it, you could show it. But if you didn't have the words, the showing kind of fell because you didn't know exactly what was the story. But then you had, well, there's the fa- there's the lake that the party cadre's son, whose illegal tannery has fouled with the animals floating in it. There's the picture of the lake, right? right. That <laughs> is. And so there's a power to that. And, and yet, you know, because it was us and, and Virginia and Caroline and I all wanted mostly to listen. We didn't want to be in the front seat. If the women said, well, why don't we do it this way? Or could we have more meetings or this or this? we said yes so
1: at this point in time you're you're more embodying this idea of you you're an activist scholar and you're generating stuff and this work on women's rights in China then how do you get to Nairobi and tell us about Tika and the work that mm-hmm. general yeah, there? because you this is what the paper is about a little bit folks listening audience is that it didn't work right as well in Nairobi but That's it did different. There's a great there was a great book that came out. There was other things that went on, but you experienced some frustrations, right, with with the work. Well,
0: you know, you just see how clueless you are. I mean, it was it's a great way to learn a new place is to try to do the same thing kind of almost and then see how different it is. And and again, since if you're listening, then you're listening, so it changes to suit the situation. But no, I moved to Kenya in nineteen ninety-six and I was responsible for youth programs and reproductive health and rights programs and culture stuff and Kenya, you have and Zimbabwe and I was meeting so many wonderful people and then I was also quite surprised by I, I loved the youth where I still I mean the youth organizations here are just so incredibly good young people everywhere but here I mean they they're just on fire and so A woman named Lana Wong walked into the Ford Foundation office not long after I was there, and I think she knew about the Visual Voices book in China because she herself is a photographer. She was there, I think, because of her husband's job, but she was doing a lot of good work, and and she's also a sportswoman, so she was volunteering with the Mathari Youth Sports Association. I think she was even coaching and they were trying to get girls teams going. And it's basically soccer in one of the really more violent communities of uh, Nairobi, um, informal settlements, we call them slums here and Mathari Valley. And so we started talking and we, I had already started working with MISA, it was called Mathari Youth Sports Association and just thought they were fabulous. And they wanted to think of ways of doing more than just sports because there were, kids that weren't good at soccer and also it's just they wanted to do more. So we brought a photo we call it shoot back here. We brought a shoot back project to Mathari Youth Sports Association and Lana ran it with Francis with uh, you know the Kenyan team took it over and had I think they were 13 year 12 11 12 13 I have to remember but you know young but not young teenagers and older young kids take photos of your life. Talk about it. And then with them, we had them do journals because they were all literate. Those journals were, oh, they were killer. They were so fabulous. They're individual journals with their photos and their stories. And the ones I know still have them. I mean, they are precious to them. And so we have this beautiful book, Shoot Back, from that. And again, I was behind the, the resources so we could you know get cameras, film. We had a big exhibition at the Barbican in London. But... When it came time to gather and to try to find people in power in Nairobi or in Kenya who were interested in the same way that the provincial leadership in Yunnan was interested in hearing what these kids had to say about their lives, nobody showed up nobody you know it's a it's a bit of a donor swamp in Kenya, and so there's a lot anyway people weren't we weren't that interested. We could have individual conversations with village leaders and things, but we couldn't convene the same way. We didn't have the same convening power. And when you would mm-hmm. show somebody the picture of the kid that was stoned to death for stealing a cassette player, they would kind of go, yeah, well, yeah, I know that. This isn't news for me. And they would didn't really want to hear what the kids had to say about vigilante justice. And yet, the shoot back gang, which they called themselves, was on fire. And now, you know, three or four of them are professional videographers. They've come back, they've set up organizations here. So we realized we needed to recognize that the real change was happening in our own gang. Maybe we weren't going to change Nairobi City Council very much, but our gang was different. And it not only changed MISA, but it changed a lot of conversations about you know because the photos are beautiful too you know you take a picture of your sister in her confirmation dress or your puppy or and so it's 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 this real kids you know of course local people see their world differently and kids see their world differently so i mean anybody who can find that book it's out of print but shoot back it's really beautiful photographs and the fact that there is still a shootback gang 20 years later Says
1: something. This was the moment in our conversation when we were talking to Mary Ann, we were like, oh, maybe we got a story to tell because this was the point where, yes. you know, we got to talk a little bit about the frustrations, right? Of moving policy change, right? There's this sort of drumbeat that goes on. We've had this conversation, Bob and I have gone back and forth and we keep, you know, we, we, we're in the struggle trying to figure out what, what level of policy change works. If it's not about policy change, is it photo voice? How do well, we- and where does measurement
2: happen? Where do where do you like I on the research? Where does measurement and change happen? Go ahead, Robin.
1: Well, no, I mean, I just think I think and so I got be thinking about maybe maybe we could talk about some of our failures, right? Because in this safe space with the grandmother of Photo Voice, and, and then you started calling yourself the grandmother in this paper, which is which is actually really comforting to me. It surprised me, but then it also was like, yeah, well, you really are a grandmother. And you really are one of the grandmothers of Photovoice, So there you go, that's fine. What am I? Am I the nurse from Wales? Where's my identity kind of lie in this? And it's sort of like, like, I think we began to realize that we both, all of us, like you said, Lana Wong, people get attracted to this who enjoy photography, right? As a means of communication, as a means of celebrating life. And then, and then we sort of get drawn in with this expectation that you've got to make change, but you get I bang up against how to get the policymakers in the room that are actually going to make the change, how to, how to actually make the change. And we got into this deeper conversation about what change actually means. So you switched from photo voice, right? You started doing some other core cool stuff that we learned about in this paper, body mapping, healing circles. How did Tico grow kind of from this initial start with, and this frustration of this you know, hitting the wall with trying to change policy?
0: Mm, That's a big question. Yeah. I mean, Tika is all about recognizing the positive relationship between culture and healing or culture and health. And, you know, I think this is culture work. I know it's active. I know it's research. I know it, but it's also culture work because it's, it's reflecting on values and vulnerabilities and how we work with each other and relationships. So when I moved from Asia to East Africa, I found that the international public health world and the donor world, they were much more prescriptive. They were much less willing to learn local languages, to wonder how families worked, to really ground health interventions, if you use that word, or health programs in the culture of the place. And here I was completely green, so I knew enough to know, hey, I needed to know what it was like to be this person. I better ask me, ask a bunch of them or figure out a way of putting them in charge of this choice. So Tika, after I had a good, wonderful run at the Ford Foundation here seven or eight years and then wanted to stay in Kenya and wanted to really explore that positive link. And Photo Voice was one of them, because I knew that when people shared their stories and had something to look at, it's like that three-cornered stool is very strong. So it's you and me in the photo, or it's, it's the provincial leader and the person with the money and the woman who's hopefully going to have the agency to call a lot of the shots in the program. We began by hosting a huge gathering of African herbalists from all over the continent in a sort of similar learning network situation. It was our very first thing, the first few months that Tika was alive. And over time, because we were doing so much HIV and AIDS work, we realized that the wisdom of people who were positive was extraordinary. And there really weren't ways of sharing that at these big international AIDS conferences or in donor forums or evocative ways. And so bingo, you know, it wasn't photography. It was painting, self-portraiture, but life-size body, you know, just of life size tracing of your body where you tell your life story or your healing journey in a situation, sort of, you know, not month by month, but a five-day residential workshop where you meet each other and you share your stories and you do what Bob's saying. You you see how you're alike and you're different, and how your perspectives are the same and who brings what. And you also end up with a beautiful rendering, like a gorgeous photo, but even more tender in a way of your life story or the part of your life story that has to do with this conversation. And then we started doing performance art with them at international AIDS conferences. And they, man, the, the place was packed. They were popular. They were gorgeous. The women were brave in front of those paintings. They were saying, you know, this, you know, it's not just about pills, or it's not just about this, or it's, you know, this is what it takes to be healthy. And, and actually, it's not that different from any other health situation, or, you know, every time you do really good HIV work, you realize it's about the bigger picture, any kind of work, you know, so that was the next step. And then from there, we sort of, again, linked back to work with elders and, and we able to get some support to really do a medicine, what we call the medicine wheel program, where we started bringing ceremony and healing rituals and herb herbal medicine into the mix. But again, it was about how do you create that space? And then in my case, for sure, get yourself out of it, you know, hold it. And again, that in some ways is it's good sister outsider work, good brother outsider work, because I can host a multi-tribal gathering and if I mess up and I'm not supposed to introduce people this way people can tell you have a good heart and they forgive you they forgive you of that so you can create a kind of new old space that allows old knowledge and wisdom to enter a new constellation that's more egalitarian that can cross gender and age boundaries it would be you know much stricter in traditional settings so it in my after we started talking, I realized the thread between this, right? It wasn't like I went, Oh, I've done that, and then this, and then you know, but it's logical to me now how one kind of,
2: i kind so of I sort of feel like that's where we started getting towards the means, right? I don't know if you want to talk about it, but that also kind of was the eye opening part of our dialogue in the past about your conversation with Susan as the head of the Ford Foundation when she asked you about what what do you have to show for your efforts and I'm probably let you say it better than I can. So go ahead.
0: Yeah. Susan Beresford is one of the stars in my pantheon of wonderful people. I met at Ford and I think it was the first meeting we had in New York after I'd started in China. So, and I mean, I was green. They were they were taking a chance on me, you know, and it was such a wonderful experience, but I was trying to learn about philanthropy and money. And, you know, I was meeting the Minister of Health and explaining why China, why Ford Foundation was in China, in Mandarin. And, you know, it was it was absolutely extraordinary. And I very quickly realized that I was getting this wonderful set of relationships going. That I was meeting people in Beijing and in Yunnan, and the conversations we were having were as valuable as a grant. You know, I wasn't in a big hurry to start placing the money immediately because you know you have to be careful with money that way; it's got its own power, its own fire. So I think it was even before Photo Voice was conceived, but it might have been in the beginning of, of that. And so she said, "So what have you learned?" And I, I was so proud of myself. I I very I heard myself say, "Well, I've learned that the means are the ends." I thought, wow, I've nailed it here. And I could see that she kind of went, oh, maybe, you know, maybe that, does that mean you don't have goals or you don't? No, 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 no. It just means that the process is the point, is part of the point. And that is, once I got that, I knew I could do it because I knew how to do that. And that's
2: often a hard thing to get people to see, you know, and I think we use the quote in our paper, but also in our dialogue that the means are the ends in the making, and everything you've described in your work, and everything that Robin and I do in our work, those means become the grease that gets progress to happen. And there's and typically, and you've you've said it a dozen times. Ford's initial funding to help work in China has resulted in this huge industry of participatory research called photovoice around the world. That was those residual means have yeah. become an end to change around the world all these years later. You know, and that's what occurs like these means, these little steps that are you don't see them in the moment, maybe, but the residual outcomes results in a lot of benefit down the road that may not be valued by the initial funder and may not be. They might not recognize that initial seed being planted that becomes the means to other ends, maybe not the ends they funded, but a lot of other ends.
0: Maybe not even the ones you thought. I mean, actually, if we're honest about right. it, it's never the ones we thought. We just have to sort of frame it enough so that if we're trying to get money for it or explain it, you know, we kind of get it, but we know that actually, if it turns out exactly that way, we probably haven't done it right. <laughs> you know? <laughs>
1: I'm, talking, I'm talking to you now because I'm gonna start teaching students about writing objectives this afternoon. And and um, I'm really questioning this idea of the goal, right? The theory, you know, what is that goal? And and Marianne, you're just you're just reminding me yet again that the poise we have as health promotion practitioners, right, inside community, means that we can kind of understanding the means that facilitative place where you talked about standing there, being able to stand back, being able to make a mistake, and being able to be guided in that sort of an, a, creating that egalitarian space that you called right, which allows for People together is part of the practice right that you can be transposed that into different environments and different places and ways of working with people for different ends but really the means are the what what is really driving the knowledge generation you guys were close to being out of time i don't want it to end but where do we go from here what's the future marianne you left a teaser in the paper about undoing colonialism or something like that so if you got something and bob where are you going next we're done with this photo voice project we've got a new editor coming in with help emotion practice where are we going to go next what's happening w- what do you think what's your offering what's your voice uh, to, the, to the listener now where, where 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 are
2: you going next yeah so i'll start because i want to end with marianne's thoughts because it's so fun to listen to what you have to your experiences but yeah i'm i'm really around trying to figure out how do we measure these changes that Marian describes in an empathic way. So we developed a critical consciousness tool to see if we couldn't measure whether or not we can move policymakers from passively, passive adaptation towards something, to action. And we believe it's wrapped up in an emotional engagement with the issue, but also a root understanding of the critical causes of that issue, that those four elements can work together to make action happen. But So my next step is to really figure out how do we measure and observe and motivate actions or like whether it's photo voice or others to move people away from comfortable status quo towards leaning in towards change that they are excited about. So how do we then measure whether or not we can move someone from comfort with status quo to excitement for change? And that is wrapped up in methods like photo voice. So. We want to pair that with our critical consciousness scale that we've developed to really begin measuring whether or not we can use something like this to move someone forward. And like you've accused me and Robin up before, Marianne, we are scholars, but at our core, we're activists. I just approach it from a slightly different angle. And you'll be curious to know this. You don't even know this yet, Marianne, but the person I'm working with to do this next scale development is to go back to Kenya with a photo voice project there and to do some work. So we'll we'll see where this goes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my next step, Rob. I'm enthusiastic about the journey.
1: Totally exciting, Bob. Totally exciting to hear that. Marianne, you, you kind of have the last word. I mean, my, my challenge is to kind of try, learning from the this, these means and this process to work in another difficult space and working with people who are in uh, detention from people who are trying to legally migrate into this country and are in detention. How do you actually involve them in a participatory research project that undoes the machine? <laughs> That's a
2: big challenge. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing too challenging.
0: Unravelling it, red, the, the
1: place red. On the, This place is on the Tide Flats. It's on the sa- It's in the same place that I talk about. You're it's the detention center, it's an injustice. Yeah, go ahead, Marianne, what, what, what's, what's up for you?
0: Well, I'm still, you know, I'm no longer the executive director at TICA. I'm the chair of the board, but I still get to play and participate. And I'm so proud of them. They're doing such good work. And the arts and culture and health, healthy household programs there that are all really community-based as well as the sexuality work. But we've been making this calendar every year and, and it has local art in it and it's about values and activism and health and history. And from that we have worked with lots and lots of the artistic art young young and old artists in Nairobi and we've been talking about this year we try each year to have the calendar be upbeat like it's good leadership or freedom or you know activism and and this year we had I insisted we found this wonderful piece of art that matched wonderfully and wanted to really interrogate colonialism a bit because it's of course the elephant in the room that we do or don't talk about. And it occurs to me when I first moved here, because my eye was so fresh and it, you know, the the visuals that I had of, you know, what I saw signs, what was still, because I'm not British English, so, you know, I could see as an outsider, both mixes of culture and it's a wonderful, interesting conversation about the colonized mind and new definitions of nation and of being Kenyan and beyond tribe. And and it's tied up with corruptions, which also can be very visual. So we're still just in the talking phases of what kind of shootback or photo voice project could we do here that would help us attend to images or facets of our own lives that we might learn more about by looking at it through that lens of colonialism and contemporary culture and integrity and corruption, those sort of two things. So not sure. it won't, you know, who the partners will be, but I have a feeling that we will find a way of, you know, obedience, disobedience. We have these conversations about is the problem that we're obedient or disobedient to the man, as you guys would say to, what disempowers us. So I think just watch this space. And I hope this conversation can continue because I think you two men are the perfect example of what academics can do in the world, you know, go out and really engage and bravely, you know, bravely, that's, it's brave to start one of those meetings for the first time, you know, and then bring it back and really interrogate it and then share the lessons with your students, you know, and then, write it where peers review it and and uh, you share it more widely. And the fact that I've refound the photo voice community because of Bob finding me, you know, every few years someone found me, a grad student would find me and we'd talk forever. And then it would go, they would go away and I didn't even know the community was so strong. So it's just a win-win for me to have been found.
1: Well, this is a win for all of us and, and I've just been so encouraged in my path through these conversations and and writing this paper. So thank you to both of you. If listeners would like to find out more about the paper, they can find it published ahead of print this year. And it's called Braiding the Healing Gifts of PhotoVoice for Social Change, The Means of the Ends in the Making. I don't know who quite came up with that catchy title, but I have a feeling it was Bob. If you follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn, you may see new papers and podcast episodes that are available. Please help us promote this work by sharing the links widely with your own networks. And you can also sign up for new article alerts on the health promotion practice websites.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP Podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.